Welcome back to the Money Markets and Macro Podcast, brought to you by Atticus Capital. I'm your host, Liam Hennessy. This week, we're going to shake it up a little bit. I've got two big items I want to discuss this week. So we're going to do one of them today and one of them this Thursday. We will save the big market analysis, technical trend analysis that we like to do occasionally for next Monday's show. Well, as possibly, I'll put this caveat out there. Uh, I will be graduating in two weeks, so the podcast schedule may become a little wonky in that time frame. I'll be traveling up and down in my state. I have graduation, and then I'll be going on a, a short trip following graduation, and then things should get back to normal. But just a heads up, the next few weeks may be a little wonky. There may be missed podcast times. But getting back to our discussion for this week, today we're going to be discussing the recent announcement from the Biden administration on the HFA or FHA, excuse me, um, loan program, what's going on there, so on and so forth. We'll get into that discussion a little bit. And then the second big subject I wanted to talk about this week is going to be Germany. If you remember back in maybe October, November of last year in 2022, we were talking a lot about the Green Party in Germany. We'd been, you know, we started out this podcast with a lot of discussion on Europe, the sanctions, the war that started on February 24th last year between the Russian Federation and Ukraine and The impacts on energy, oil, natural gas, coal, Germany using lumber for heating, all of that we discussed quite often and frequently. And we, the last week, finally got the full circle slap in the face for the German population. Uh, Germany is closing the last three remaining nuclear plants. If you remember back when, I can't remember which specific episode, I'll try to find it so we can do a little reference, that we were discussing on this podcast, the risk that they were closing down. I think at the time they were closing down, you know, 12 of the last 15-something nuclear plants in Germany. There was three left, and they were going to keep them online because, oh, well, you know, war and energy prices and, and consumer price indexes and struggling and heating costs and if you remember at the time the futures contract on energy and electricity in germany and france were up like 1500 percent, something like that just a crazy amount crazy expensive and it scared the german government yet you know i remember at the time thinking okay well this has to this has to end the whole war on nuclear in germany of course obviously you know if you're seeing your energy prices skyrocket by nearly well over a thousand percent well, because of oil, natural gas, coal, sort of these raw material good input energies, well, that would then argue the great benefit of nuclear power. But 
apparently the, the Germans are too headstrong to look ahead and realize the futility of trying to maintain a suitable civilization while regressing in energy. Uh, well, we got that update over the last week of Germany closing down their last three nuclear plants. And, well, it seems that Germany will continue to move forward this decade in a state of skating the line of falling into utter and complete crisis as a result of some misguided political whims seemingly determined to deindustrialize the German economy for the, well, aspirations of narrow-minded individuals, we could say that, in full. We'll get into that in more detail, the implications, not only for Germany, for, but for broader Europe in general on Thursday of this week, of this upcoming week. Today, we're going to be talking about a seemingly common pattern with this administration. And this has nothing to do with the, the ideological grounding or framework by which one individual aligns themselves on a particular political front. In my view, I look at this simply through the lens of maybe biased by the Austrian camp. Um, that's where I learned to liberate my thinking of economics. But seemingly this, this recent, the recent actions by the American government as it relates to generally the the economy in, in a very general sense has been well you could argue completely non-grounded not grounded in any way shape or form in the principles of free market economics it has seemingly in my mind's eye been much more akin to that of a aspiring command economy approach and subtle if not outright depending on the industry the sector and when you look at the data and you look at the the nature of a lot of these policies and their effect it seemingly is becoming a highly centralized approach to economic governance and this isn't political in any nature. This is simply state control of free enterprise in some sense. And we'll discuss why when we get into this. And once we get to the data from the federal government, uh, their ownership over mortgages. But let's get into this. So the way that I want to break it up today is a couple of things. So we have one article here explaining this policy from CNN. It'll give us one perspective. We've got another one from Zero Hedge, which will give us another perspective. We'll tie a little bit of that together, and we'll try to take a whole scope approach. So let's get into it. This is an article by CNN Business. Uh, this was updated. I don't know when it's posted. You can never get uh, 
I never read these things, but updated on February 22nd, 2023. Who knows if it had been changed in the prior, you know, there's no point. No prior version history. There's not, it just says updated. So I don't know what they changed. If they did change anything, that's fairly typical. Titled here, Biden admin cuts some mortgage fees amid housing affordability crisis. Interesting framing. I would disagree in principle, but okay, this isn't where this isn't a CNBC or, or zero hedge. And we don't expect a CNN to be very versed on economics. But regardless, let's get into it. The Biden administration announced Wednesday, it's the last Wednesday, I believe that was the 20th. Oh my goodness, the 19th. It was the 19th of April. Announced Wednesday that a change that will have an estimate 850 thousand home buyers oh save excuse me primarily low and middle income first time buyers the average of 800 on home financing costs this year so they this is apparently going to be something that helps you know in theory 850,000 home buyers save 800 dollars a year they say this move affects mortgage insurance premiums paid by new borrowers who take out loans insured by the Federal Housing Administration. It will reduce the annual premium from 0.85 to 0.55. You know, the one of the uh, officials from the government, uh, Mercia L. Fudge, this is the secretary of HUD, was quoted as saying here, as we reduce housing costs for people with H or FHA, I keep saying HFA, FHA mortgages, we continue our work to address long-standing disparities in home ownership, she said Wednesday. Article goes on to say home financing costs have skyrocketed over the past year, with mortgage rates doubling from one year ago. At the same time, that home prices have remained strong in many housing markets. This has priced out many would-be home buyers who cannot qualify for a loan. So this is this is one of the things that I have not been able to grasp from this government. And this is the government. It's the executive branch and executive agencies doing a bunch of different things that seemingly are they cause this feedback cascade where they cause a problem. They don't recognize the problem. They then later on, after it starts to impact the market, go, oh my goodness, there's a problem here. And then use another executive agency to try to solve that problem, which creates another problem. I mean, this is like the, it's like the Federal Reserve with a crisis. Right, prior to any crisis occurring, they come out in front of the, the, the public and say, we have all the necessary tools. They all, we have all the tools necessary to manage and maintain stability and economic tranquility and whatnot throughout the next coming years, throughout you know the craziness and volatility and credit and housing and employment markets. We have all the tools we need. And then a bank blows up and they go, oh my goodness, well, here we're going we're gonna to make this new tool, the... the bank lending credit collateral facility and you know this tool will solve the problem well hey didn't you just say two weeks ago you had all the tools you needed 
Well, yes, but we needed new tools and more tools to fix the problem because we didn't have enough tools to fix the problem. And this is like the same thing that the federal government's been doing this whole time. It's we, you know, we have this agency that does this and then it blows up some part of the labor market, credit market, mortgage market. And then we come sweeping in with a brand new program from another executive agency to fix it. That's just me rambling, but it, I get the sense that this has been the direction this government has been going, not just in this administration, but for a very long time, at least as long as I've been aware. Maybe that's not too long, but still long in my view. <laughs> so moving on here, it says more than 80% of uh, FHA borrowers are first time home buyers. 25% are home buyers of color. Uh, very important part for this CNN article, the average home purchased with FHA insurance mortgage is about half the price of a national median home and has an average mortgage of less than $270,000. So we'll go through, let's finish this up and then we can get into, there's an investopedia. We can kind of break down a little bit of what these FHA loans are so we can get a better idea of what it is that is really being impacted. But it says here, the typical monthly principal and interest payment on a 30 year fixed Fixed rate loan for median price three hundred fifty thousand three hundred home in January twenty twenty two was ten percent down payment, uh, fourteen twenty five. That was your typical mortgage payment. That was from Eddie, uh, Freddie Mac. A year later, the same home price as it just says three fifty nine um, was nearly nineteen seventy. A difference of five hundred and forty five. Yes, that occurs when <laughs> interest rates go up. I mean, this is. This is what I don't, it's, it, it completely makes, it's, it's the most unnecessary thing in the world. I mean, I think about it in this sense. If interest rates rise that, and, and mortgage rates rise along with them, what does that do? What's the natural law of economic theory that occurs? Well, when the risk premium the cost of this capital rises, cost of ownership rises, that lowers demand for that service or product. That lower demand lets the supply side normalize so that they can meet an equilibrium again later down the line. But what this is doing, and this is what the point I'm trying to get across is that they are not, this is, it, it's so command economy theory in my mind that slight disruptions in supply and demand need to be normalized, need to hit equilibrium by force. They're trying to force equilibrium when there are supply demand mismatches. You know, there's a mismatch between the demand for homes, the supply for homes and the interest rate on the insurance the interest rate on the loans for the homes. Banks are less lend or less willing to lend to the overall marketplace because there's a higher risk of credit. There's higher credit risk. That means there's less credit and liquidity in the system. Therefore, banks need to conserve the capital they have and they need to conserve and discriminate to a greater degree who they lend their capital to because it's a higher risk environment. That's just naturally how this goes later down the line when things normalize on both the supply and the demand side and functionality and liquidity and capital flows 
in the greater monetary. This always comes back to the monetary system. It always comes back to global euro dollars. Once the system begins to recover itself, things normalize again, confidence is reasserted, liquidity and capital resumes its trends again. Banks with greater capital, greater lending will once again widen out their, or I would say lower their discriminatory lending. But, I mean, everybody discriminates in some sense. I mean, this isn't, I don't use discriminate in any type of selectified or selected approach. I mean, simply, if you're a bank in tight credit markets, tight credit conditions, highly volatile in lending and highly volatile in labor and whatever other markets that there are, you're going to discriminate more on who you lend to. Higher risk for that capital being lent. But in these conditions, the government comes in and says, uh, no, 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 we can't allow this to occur because we need this, you know, for whatever reason, be it political or not, we need things to be more inclusive, I guess. And so we're going to force premiums down, which I mean, this will backfire eventually. Obviously, this isn't going to work, but let's continue on. I'm going to tirade all day if we don't get through this article. Only 811,000 out of 5.7 million purchased loans originate in 2021 were FHA loans, or about 14.3%. Interesting they mentioned that. It's a lot different today, by the way. But moving or continuing. Um, it also says here... Uh, there were only 11,000 sales of newly constructed homes financed through FHA. This, and they say here, this was the smallest share since the end of 2007. They, they mentioned two items here, but they don't mention, I think, the most important statistic when it comes to the FHA, Federal Housing Association's, assets, their balance sheet. They don't really look at the balance sheet, which I think is really important. You can see the balance sheet of the FHA, the FHA in the Z1 financial accounts of the United States. This is posted on the Federal Reserve site. I'll put the link in the description, but we'll also look at it today. And it's concerning, I guess you could say. It's, it's very interesting. And the CNN article, even the Zero Hedge article, don't mention this statistic. This And, and this, it I was looking at this today and it's remarkable what's going on. But okay, let's move on. Let's finish up this article here. It says, quote, from Bob Bro uh, Smith, Broke Smith, B R O E K S M I T. This is the MBA uh, Mortgage Bankers Association president and CEO. He says here the lower premiums will expand home ownership opportunities by lowering mortgage payments by force. For qualifying FHA borrowers, providing critical relief from the steep rise in mortgage rates and home price is just in time for the spring buying season. This is I this is the thing that just rankles me. This really grinds in my gear. If the market is risk averse, it doesn't want low quality credit getting lending. They don't want to lend credit to individuals or institutions who are high risk. What does that mean? The marketplace, the general marketplace in conditions of tight credit 
of drying liquidity, falling M2, by the way, on top of everything else, on top of all the other, I would argue, deflationary effects that we're seeing in the broader monetary system, the greater, the broader credit lenders are refusing to lend to the riskier edge, especially, you know, let's just take it in the home buyers section. They're not going to lend to low credit or, or they're not going to lend to low credit score or low income or unstable borrowers because they cannot trust to be paid back. And when credit is this tight and when cash needs to be conserved, banks and institutions can't afford to lend in high risk environment, to a high risk borrower in a high risk environment. It's just the natural law of these things. So what is happening is the federal government then says, okay, despite the fact that the credit market is volatile and there isn't enough liquidity for lenders to lend to risky borrowers, we're going to incentivize in a risky credit market, in a volatile credit market, we're going to incentivize lending to risky borrowers. So you see how this compounds and this exacerbates the problem? This isn't going, this is a, a, a short-sighted, almost naive approach to managing housing. It, it, and you'll see it again when we get to the Federal Reserve data here. It's, you know, the more I look around this, and, the, and Jeffrey Snyder keeps saying this too. He says all the time, a 2008 style recession. And he's putting it in the context of the broader monetary system contracting and being distorted and the bond market reacting to certain events and certain, you know, collateral runs. He's looking at the broader monetary system and saying, this is 2008-like. I agree. But looking at this, it looks like another element of the 2008-like, 2008-style of recession tailored in the housing sector the 2008 a rehashing of the 2008 problems that we saw of low i mean this and this was a very different circumstances but still relatively similar you know in 2006 to or maybe 2004 to 2007 2006 it was a fairly liquid capital environment but riskier, the riskiest borrowers were being lent capital they should not have been getting in any other natural environment. And that was, in many cases, a result of some regulatory problems, but also some elements and functions of the mortgage system expanding its, you know, collateral requirements of whatever nature, you know, you want to get mortgages so that they collateralize that mortgage and use it for some other lending purposes. Okay. See, the scenarios are different, but the broader consequence is somewhat similar. The same riskiest borrowers are getting credit, getting capital, getting cash, getting lent money for a mortgage. They otherwise shouldn't 
had there not been intervention either on the side of the government or intervention on the side of a bank wanting to leverage that asset for some securitized product in the marketplace. So real quick from Investopedia, the Federal Housing Administration loan requirements, limits, and how to qualify. So we don't need to go through this entire thing, but just to get an idea of what it is that we're looking at here. It says a Federal Housing Administration loan is a home mortgage that is insured by the government and issued by a bank or other lender that is approved by the agency. FHA loans require a lower minimum Dow payment that may many conventional loans and applicants may have lower credit scores than is usually required. Right. It's very similar to a federally backed student loan. Right. It's essentially receiving a government backed student loan, but government backed home loan. <laughs> So this is a particularly popular with first-time home buyers, um, you know, maybe new graduates who don't have a whole lot of cash, they don't have a lot of uh, equity, or they don't have a lot of free cash in their own personal ledger, and they need to have a special conditioned, or a, a, a especially conditioned. Uh, mortgage so that it makes it easier for them. And there's, there's, there's different types of loans provided and you can understand why maybe a new graduate would take in FHA loan. So, I mean, these loans aren't, this entire FHA isn't completely useless. It came about in the thirties following the great depression because of major disruptions that can be caused in a free market system. So in principle, the, the FHA makes sense. So some of the key takeaways from this Investopedia, uh, these are mortgages intended for certain borrowers who find it difficult to obtain loans from private lenders. The federal government insures these loans. The borrowers of these loans tend to be riskier, and so they pay higher interest rates and pay PMI. We'll discuss PMI here in a minute. Because they're insured, banks are more willing to loan to home buyers with relatively low credit scores. And first-time homebuyers may find that FHA loan is the most affordable mortgage option. Okay. So it says here, how does it work? If you have a credit score of at least 580, you can borrow up to 96.5% of the value of a home with an FHA loan. This is as of 2022. So the required down payment is only 3.5%. If your credit score falls between 57 or 500 and 579, you could still receive a loan, but you just have to make a 10% down payment. Um, so the interesting here, actually on the history of the, uh, FHA loans that I didn't really know is, uh, I'll go through it here. So it says here, Congress created the FHA in 1934 during the great depression. At the time, the housing industry was in trouble. Default and foreclosure rates had skyrocketed. 50% down payments were commonly required and the mortgage terms were impossible for ordinary wage earners to meet. As a result, the U S wanted the U.S. was primarily a nation of renters. Very interesting. And only one in 10 households owned their homes. This, I did not know this. The government created FHA to reduce the risk to lenders and make it easier for borrowers to qualify for home loans. Home ownership rates in the U.S. steadily climbed following 1934, reaching an all-time high of 69.2% in 2004. And this is from the Federal Reserve. Today, the... 
rate of home ownership in the United States, I believe it, it had an interesting spike in 2020 from 65.3 to 67.9. Today, as of the fourth quarter of 2022, it's at 65.9. So is that what the 65.4? Okay, it's, it's essentially the same. So the there are different types of loans here. They have um, home equity conversion mortgages. These are for older individuals who need lines of credit on their homes, something along those lines. They have FHA 203K improvement loans for uh, fixing and uh, putting work into a home. Uh, the FHA energy efficient mortgage, this is to help, I believe, lower utility bills. Um, so putting in you know, insulation, new insulation on a home or solar wind energy systems, maybe even some of the geothermal stuff that people do often do, or this at least geothermal, at least from my memory, was very common in the sort of 20, 2008 to 2016. I don't know what happened to geothermal, but I heard a lot of it back then. There is also a section 245A loan. This is a, um, so this is what I actually was referring to when it discussing students, postgraduate students or, or just graduating students who are looking early in their new careers. They just got a job. They just uh, started to make a stable income for the first time in their lives, their first careers. So this is a program which works for borrowers who expect their incomes to increase. The graduate payment mortgage, this is a GPM, starts with a lower monthly payment that gradually increases over time. The growing equity mortgage, GEM, has scheduled increases in monthly principal payments both promise shorter loan terms. So relatively interesting stuff. And, and you can see why the FHA exists. My Austrian hat, my Austrian economics hat would tell me that, or does tell me that this FHA seemingly is operating far and beyond its intended purpose. If this FHA was created in desperation as a response to the Great Depression, which saw extreme levels of dysfunction in the mortgage market, you could see and understand the argument that this should only be for the sole purpose of responding to extreme levels of dysfunction in the housing market. Maybe we wouldn't have so many problems. Maybe we would have more problems. I would argue that uh, you know, removing government from the role of participant in the general economy is my way of viewing economics and so on and so forth, but okay, that's besides the point. Uh, there's the federal, the FHA mortgage insurance premiums. We don't need to go through all of this. It, it discusses the way the, in, the premiums are calculated. Um, if you want to read it, feel free. It's sort of halfway through this page. I'll put the Investopedia part in the description for the podcast for this week. So you can go through and you can read, you know, what are the limits of the loans, what are the loan relief bits of it, advantages, disadvantages, application, the max amounts, um, insurance costs, how do you remove it, and bottom, okay, so you get the picture. 
So with that side of it being understood, right, we get what the principle is for what the Biden administration is doing. We want to incentivize home ownership for low credit Americans who have unstable incomes, who have who are the riskiest borrowers. Private institutions don't want to lend to these individuals, so we're going to back these loans so that if these individuals fail to meet their loan obligations, the federal government will pay the banks who lend the capital to the home borrower or home buyer. Interesting enough that it, it, it concerning in my eyes, given the role of ownership, but okay, let's get into this zero hedge article. We'll talk about that bit that I'm concerned about in a second here. And so this is a Thursday article posted Thursday titled Biden to punish good credit home buyers to subsidize high risk mortgages. So a completely different take. It says here a new rule from the Biden administration will force home buyers with good credit scores to pay higher mortgage rates in order to subsidize loans to those with riskier borrowing profiles. This this is a uh, piece taken from the Washington Times. It says here the fees which will apply to those buying or refinancing houses after May 1st, will affect home buyers with credit scores of 680 or higher, will amount to roughly $40 per month on a home loan of $400,000, or nearly $500 per year. Home buyers who make down payments of 15 to 20% will be hit with the largest fees. According to those in the industry, the changes will frustrate home buyers with high credit scores, as well as those looking to refinance as they're being punished for having strong financial positions. That's quote here. The changes do not make sense. Penalizing borrowers with larger down payments and credit scores will not go over well, said Ian Wright, a senior loan officer at Bay Equity Home Loans in the San Francisco Bay Area, in a statement to the Washington Times via email. He continues, it overcomplicates things for consumers during a process that can already feel overwhelming. With the amount of paperwork, jargon, etc., confusing the borrower is never a good thing. Wright also says that the rule will, quote, cause customer service issues for lenders and individual loan officers when a consumer won't understand why their interest rate and fees suddenly changed. I'm all for the first time buyer having a chance to get into the market, but it's clear that these decisions aren't being made by folks that understand the entire mortgage process. That's fairly, <laughs> that's fairly obvious. He continued. The new fees will, quote, create an extreme confusion as we enter the traditional spring home purchase season. So you see how there's two different perspectives here. This is from David Stevens, a former head of Mortgage Banker Association who served as commissioner of the Federal Housing Administration during the Obama administration. So remember what the CNN MBA had said. What did he say? He said lower premiums will expand home ownership opportunities by lowering mortgage payments for qualified FHA borrowers, providing critical relief from the steep rises in mortgage rates and home prices just in time for the spring buying season. The current MBA president. Well, so the man in the government. And then the former head of the MBA said this will create extreme confusion as we enter into the traditional spring home purchasing season. Goes on to say here, this confusing approach won't work. So these, this is, these are two takes 
from the current CEO or head of the NBA and the former head of the NBA. Same role, same position. One's in the government, lauding it, applauding it, and former, outside, looking in. A very interesting approach and very interesting takes from two of essentially the same people with the same experience and same understanding. Let me read this quote. This confusing approach won't work and is more importantly, couldn't come at a worse time for an industry struggling to get back on its feet after these past 12 months. Mr. Stevens wrote in a recent social media post to do this at the onset of the spring market is almost offensive to the market consumers and lenders. This is com two completely opposite. It's the current head is completely praising. The former head is completely opposed. Very interesting takes here. The housing market has been hit hard by a series of Federal Reserve interest rate hikes. We know this. This has driven mortgage rates above 6%, doubled the levels from 2022. Okay, moving on. The Under the new Biden rules. Those with lower credit scores and smaller down payments will qualify for better mortgage rates and discounted fees thanks to the surcharge on those with good scores. Quote, in the wake of a 3% percentage point increase in mortgage rates, 300 basis points, it's huge. Now is not the time to raise fees on home buyers, said NAR President Kenny Parcel during a testimony at the Federal Housing Finance Agency earlier this year. Biden appointed FHA director Sandra Thompson, meanwhile, said that the fee charges will increase pricing support for purchased borrowers limited by income or wealth, and the agency considers this charge minimal. You know, okay. In short, the fee charges will subsidize high-risk borrowers by imposing an intentional disruption to traditional risk-based pricing, according to Stevens. Quote, why was this done? The, sim the answer is simple. It was to try to narrow the gap to access credit, especially for minority home buyers who often have lower down payments and lower credit scores. He wrote on LinkedIn. Continues to go on here. It says, the gap in home ownership opportunity is real. America is facing a severe shortage of affordable homes for sale, combined with excessive demand, causing an imbalance. But convoluting pricing and credit is not the way to solve the problem. This is the this is the one thing that continues to sort of get under my skin here. It's and, and he this quote makes the perfect case. The gap is real. There is shortage of affordable homes and excess demand. High demand, low supply. You don't solve this problem by incentivizing and disrupting and manipulating the pricing mechanism for home ownership and home buying with a distorted supply and demand when equilibrium is out of whack, when we're not in equilibrium, when it becomes between buyers of homes and suppliers of homes. And you distort the pricing mechanism, you distort the purchasing mechanism, it does not solve the problem. Maybe in the short term, and maybe you can sell it as some political stunt, which is likely going to be the case here. It will undoubtedly create worse outcomes for both the borrowers and the lenders and the industry as a whole. 
Yeah, and this is something that seems fairly common. You go back to 2020 and 2021, we remember the CDC announcing their moratorium on evictions. From this Reed Smith Consumer Finance Spotlight website. In a 63 decision, the Supreme Court found that the CDC's reliance on Section 361A to be unconstitutional. Supreme Court reasoned that the CDC has imposed a nationwide moratorium on evictions in reliance on a decades-old statute that authorizes it to implement measures like fumigation and pest extermination. It strains credulity to believe that Section 361A grants the CDC sweeping authority that it asserts. The Supreme Court found that the CDC misconstrued the scope of its authority under Section 361A and that this is a statutory or that this statutory provision is water-thin reed on which to rest such a sweeping power. I think that paragraph alone gives you an idea of what we're looking at today. It's not just one administration or another administration. It seemingly is the broader government as a whole. Sweeping power that they do not have constitutionally, but throw out the Constitution in order to achieve some means, some ends. I'm not saying that's the case here with these FHA loans, but it seems the thinking is similar. comes back to what I mentioned early on in today's podcast, the approach. Drifting away from a free market approach and perspective to one more similar to a commanded economy. An economy or a command economy approach. And the reason that concerns me so much is the following. Federal government total mortgages held by FHA, asset level. Remember, as always, all of these links will be provided in the description. You can look exactly at what I'm reading. This data may be one of the most concerning components. And it is the principal metric by which I make the claim that this is seemingly a more command economy approach to managing by the United States government. The data series here oh, they don't have the de proper description. Let me see if I can open up the series analyzer and get a better idea. Well, you can get the picture from the table and from the title. The total mortgages in dollars held by the FHA. And this is in millions, not seasonally adjusted, but it has data between 1945 and 2022. 
Let me see if I can go back to 1900. No. So the furthest back is, is 1945. Between 1945, or it'd be at 1935, excuse me. They don't have those 10 years of data. Between 1945 and 19, say, 1990, the total mortgages held were never greater than $4 billion. $4 billion, that is. Between 1990, following the dot-com, or excuse me, no, excuse me, following the recession in 1990, the fourth quarter of 1990, this rose to around 11 billion, following the early 90s. By 1997, this had fallen back down to 2.6 billion and remained relatively low during this time period. In 2007, 2008, it was only about 3.7 billion. By the end of that recession in 2010, it was only about 4 billion. Where it had been in the 70s, 80s, even early 90s. Something changed in 2013. In 2013, the total mortgages held by this agency, this FHA, exploded. In the fourth quarter of 2012, there's 4.7 billion in assets held by the FHA. By the first quarter of 2018, it was 14 billion. Almost triple. Over triple, actually. <laughs> pretty much you know, tripled, essentially, between 2012 and 2018. Now, you could guess what happened following 2020. The first quarter of 2020, it was at 15 and a half billion. In the fourth quarter of 2022, it's nearly 30 billion. So the number, the assets held by this FHA have grown nearly exp exponentially. If you look at the trend, especially after 2020. And what does that mean? It means it has a growing impact, growing control and growing power over mortgages, over mortgage ownership. Now, we may have to do a little more digging and diving into this, but this is where I get the principle of a government that views the economy through the lens of a command approach. It's not just this metric, but this is one. So I know this has been a long podcast today. If you've made it this far, thank you. <laughs> but this, this, this topic really got under my skin. You can obviously tell this week. Because it seems to me it's not simply a ignorance of general and natural economic theory. It's a throwing out a utter disregard 
not only for market participants and home buyers who have worked effortlessly, worked hard, made many sacrifices to get to the point of success and where they are today. You know, good credit home buyers who've done everything right, who have to pay additionally to those maybe unfortunate individuals who just haven't had the opportunity they need. But at least in my eyes, that doesn't justify punishing those who have done well. As always seems to be the case when it comes to well, this type of event. I mean, you can extrapolate that how you wish, but with that being said, we're going to cut this before we get to 50 minutes because I could go on and on, as you all may well know by now. This Thursday, we'll get an update on what's occurring in Europe. We haven't covered Europe in a little while. We'll talk about energy. We'll talk about Germany. We'll talk about nuclear. Something that has gotten under my skin to the same degree as this has, maybe in a different manner, but... Nonetheless, thank you all very much for listening. We'll see you all on the next one.